Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. I'm really excited about this Sunday. Today we begin a new series called Jesus is Enough. And, um, and Nicole, I think that, you know, we had a theme song for um, Mountain Mover, and it was called Mountain Mover. And uh, it became the theme song we loved. I mean, you guys sang it so loudly when, uh, when she would do that, uh, that it became the theme song. And I think we found our new theme song for this series right here. Yeah. Well, please make your way over to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. It's about 85% of the way through your Bible, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I want to take today's message and just spend uh, some time uh, setting the stage for what will be an amazing time in this book. Uh, We are going to tell you about our Jesus here because Colossians is all about Jesus. It is his credentials. We will hear the overwhelming and true argument as to why Jesus is enough for salvation. He is our all-sufficient Savior and our hope, not just after death, although he is that, but also in the here and now. Jesus wants to walk with you and guide you as you live your life out. Putting our hope and faith in the things found in this world is futile. They will eventually let you down. But placing your faith and trust in the one that holds the world in his hands, who conquered death by being raised back to life, and the one who loves you so much that he came down from heaven willingly. He took on a body, and he went to the cross to die for your sin and for mine. He shed his blood in our place so that we might know his Father, our God in heaven, and be reunited to him forevermore. I'm talking about Jesus, God's one and only Son, born to die for you and I. Some trust in fame and fortune. Some trust in the wisdom of others. But the person who trusts in Jesus will be saved in this life and next. You see, we all have eternal life. You get to decide where you'll spend eternity after this life. And as we say, it's important to know where you're going to, to spend eternity. It's location, 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 as the realtor will tell you, and the pastor this morning. Almost everyone today is familiar with the story of the ill-fated passenger liner, the RMS Titanic, that struck an iceberg and sunk in the North Atlantic April 15th, 1912. It was a ship, they said, that not even God could sink. I think I'd be afraid to even get a free ticket on that passage right there. I wouldn't dare God. If we're not careful, we write this tragedy off as a disaster that certainly couldn't happen in today's technology. Surely we can trust in modern tech like sonar and radar and GPS things that would prevent such a calamity from ever being repeated. Well, it has happened, from large vessels all the way down to small boats. 
You've likely never heard of the famous yachtsman by the name of Michael Plant. He was an extremely experienced sailor with an attitude of boldness and confidence. In the fall of 1992, though, he set out from the Americas, uh, East Coast, on a solo adventure to cross the Atlantic at one of the most dangerous times of the year. Storms in October on the Atlantic can be brutal. He was headed for the French coast. However, Michael's boat, the Coyote, was state-of-the-art in every way. The materials with which it was built were some of the most cutting-edge and high-tech available at the time, even right down to the material of the hull. They said it was bulletproof. The electronics were amazing and would strike confidence in any sailor. He had the best GPS, the finest two-way radio systems. He even had a redundant system in case one radio was to crash. He had a backup on his boat. He had a tracking system that was second to none that would tell him exactly where he was in the Atlantic. But 11 days into his journey, the boat entered into a large storm, cutting its communication and tracking system completely off from the world. No one knew Michael's exact location or how he was faring for two days. But not to worry, they said. He was an experienced sailor with an amazing sailboat. Experts stated that the Coyote had been designed and built with a tremendous 8,000-pound weight inside the keel. And so much weight under, the ship, under this boat would keep it upright. It would try to, in the biggest waves, would hit it. That keel would bring it back. A few days went by, the storm passed, but there was no word from Michael Plant. Rescuers began searching the last known location for his vessel, and they located it upside down. This seemed impossible to anyone. But after investigating the cause of the capsizing, it was determined that during the high seas, this 8,000-pound weight on the keel had caused the keel to break off and plunge to the bottom of the ocean. And without this, the boat became susceptible to any wave that hit it. Michael Plant was never found. What a tragedy for him and his loved ones. He had all the skills necessary to sail out into deep waters. The boat was state-of-the-art, and Michael had what he thought to be everything he needed to successfully make this hazardous crossing. But just below the water surface, and unknown to anyone, a critical defect loomed deadly and undetected. The boat Michael had placed his faith in was doomed from the start. Let me ask you an even more important question. Where is your faith this morning? In what are you placing your faith in after this life? As I stated before, in this life, you get to choose where you spend eternity. Afterwards, that decision will stay with you throughout all eternity. It is unchangeable at that moment. So choose wisely. We just studied the book of Nehemiah and saw how quickly things can go from good to bad. We saw how Nehemiah had set everything up that the people needed to succeed, how to, how to worship God, how to study the word, the priorities of the church. 
And he left, and then one year came back to a disaster. Things can look so good above the waterline and so bad just under the surface. This is the story of America, a once blessed and God-honoring nation. While things on the outside look good until recently, things on the inside have been decaying for some generations now. As we've removed God from schools, from government institutions, and from just about every area of decision-making in our country, God is no longer welcomed or even acknowledged. Until and unless this changes, America will collapse into a socialist nation, I believe. That's where we're headed. The handwriting's on the wall. The only question now is, are we willing to read it and respond wisely The Apostle Paul told believers to test themselves, to see if they were indeed in the faith and walk regularly in order to see if indeed we are true Christ followers or if there's something just below the surface of our lives, unseen and by those around us, looming undetected and ready to take our testimony or our witness out at an unforeseen moment. Test yourselves, he said. The story of the believers in Colossae is a story that could be true of any person or any church or any nation that doesn't take time to reevaluate itself occasionally. When you're on a GPS, I used to have a boat that was an offshore fishing boat. I had a GPS and I had a compass on the dashboard. But you had to pay attention because the waves of the sea are constantly turning your boat. And so you're constantly readjusting the boat back straight again. And this happens over and over and over again, but you have to do it. You have to put it back online if you want to get to where you're headed. And life is the same. God's given us his GPS in his word. We are to set our lives to that GPS because life will continuously push us off course. Let's begin our new series by reading Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, is where we are going to begin our new study. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now see, back in that day, it was different. I kind of like this way. When we write letters, we just say, dear, you know, Fred, and you begin to write your letter to the person. And unless you know Fred's handwriting or know that he's going to be writing you, uh, or, or the writer's handwriting, you have to skip down and go, who's this? Oh, this is from, this is from a, my friend Bill. But back in that day, they announced who the writers were immediately, right up front. So Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So it's, it's Paul and Timothy that are writing this letter. Verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a very common greeting of Paul. He always wrote who the letter was from, and then he would greet the people. By way of introduction to this letter, I want to give you some basic information before we dive in. First, let's look at the city. On the back of your uh, bulletin, there's notes, and if you like to take notes, and I encourage everyone to do so, you can follow along with us. First, let's look at the city. 
Colossae was located in the eastern Mediterranean. There you see it on the map up on the screens here. It's uh, right of center. Ephesus is right almost in the middle. Ephesus was the coastal city. If you were going to Colossae, you would go to Ephesus first, and then you would travel on to Colossae. It's about 100 miles inland from this harbor city of Ephesus. It sat along a major trade route between the Near East and Rome. It was right in between. Because of this, it was a melting pot for idol worship and false religions as East met West. Today, the site of Colossae lays beneath dirt, unexcavated in part of modern-day Turkey. Second, let's look at the authors. Paul is the author, clearly here. Uh, Young Timothy certainly contributed Paul is sitting in a Roman prison as this letter is penned, probably dictated to Timothy, his helper and scribe, who uh, willingly went to prison as an aid to him. He, of course, Timothy could come and go. Uh, he hadn't been convicted of the gospel. Uh, Paul had been, and they're holding him, and they're, he's awaiting trial to decide what is going to happen, his, what his fate is. This is his first arrest, so he will survive this one. His second arrest, he will be executed. But this time, he doesn't know what's going to happen. It's around 60 AD. That makes it somewhere around 25 to 27 years, depending on what you determine or what you believe uh, the age of this letter was written. 25, 27 years after Jesus Christ has gone back and ascended to heaven, after his his death and his resurrection. He's gone back to heaven. Paul's writing this letter. Third, let's look at the church. Paul did not plant this church, and there's no evidence that he even ever visited it personally, but he had heard of it and its reputation for being a a growing body of believers. The church was planted by people who had heard Paul's teaching during during his three-year ministry there in Ephesus, Paul kind of set up shop there and started like, you know, a mini discipleship program, kind of like a mini seminary there. And people he would lead to Christ, he would say, come on over to my house and let's go into the word. Let me show you what you just committed to. Let me, let me tell you all these things I've learned about Jesus. And so you could go to Paul's seminary there in Ephesus for three years. He was there. And it was likely that These men who had planted Colossae were discipled by him in Ephesus and then went the hundred miles inland to Colossae and planted a church. The church was likely about five years old, plus or minus one year, uh, at the time of this writing. When they received Paul's letter, they're about five years old, a young church. And this coming December, Restored Community Church will be five. We turned five the first Sunday of December. So that's exciting. So that's where these folks are are roughly at. It's a newer church. Fourth, let's look at the purpose here. The purpose behind the letter is to address and correct doctrinal error. What exactly, we are not told, but we can conclude by the way Paul is giving answers that it's likely that after having been planted as a new church there in Colossae, Some wolves had come in with false doctrine as to the deity of Jesus Christ. These wolves asserted that Jesus was merely a wise man. Yes, he was wise. Yes, 
Yes, we should listen to him, but he was not God's son and he is not deity. These are, these are Jews who are on the fence. They kind of have one foot in Christianity and they have the other foot. They want to hang on to their Jewish roots so that they're kind of trying to, to meld these two into one. And of course, that, that isn't done very well when you were talking about grace and we're talking about the law. They're still trying to obey the law letter for letter, and they're trying to bring and, and meld Jesus with this. These wolves asserted that Jesus was merely a wise man, but he was not God, and that mankind rather ought to worship angels. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. To combat these grave heresies, and in the first half of this book, we see one of the most powerful presentations of Christology, which is the study of Christ, in the entire Bible. In the second half of the book, we're invited into a, a course on ethics and morality that begins with one's own personal life and how you view God and how you live for him. It's your personal relationship. Then it moves on to how we deal and live with our families, within the family unit. We'll talk about that as, we, as this study goes on. And it ends with ethics involved in one's professional life and how to treat others outside the home. In short, the first half of the book is a mini doctrinal dissertation on the lordship, messiahship, and sufficiency of one Jesus of Nazareth, followed by a how to live like Christ course. This is gonna be great, don't miss a Sunday. And if you've got to go on vacation, I understand you do, or if you get sick and you stay home, watch this. You don't want to, you don't want to lose a single week. The credentials of Christ are put on display here, and there can be no other conclusion than that Jesus Christ is God's one and only Son, that he is the pre-incarnate Son of God, that he is preeminent over all created things, alive, dead, human, or spirit, even the angels. And because of this, Jesus is enough exclusively to be our all-sufficient Savior and sustainer. No one else and no other created thing can make this claim with any integrity. We cannot add to what he's finished in life, in death, or in his resurrection, and we cannot take away a single work that he so powerfully and perfect, perfectly completed. In fact, Jesus so magnificently concluded the work his father sent him down to earth to finish that when he was done, he took his rightful and honored seat at the right hand of God, the father. Talk about a mic drop. He was done. There's nothing to be said after Jesus went back to heaven. He did it all for us. We can't add to anything. We can't uh, try to be good enough. Jesus did it all, and it's called grace and it's offered to everyone who wants it. However, in this book, the Judaizers, those that would try, however, foolish and, and misconceived to blend law with grace, followed behind Paul and pounced on these new believers in churches. They would wait for him to, to leave because Paul was a powerful man. He wasn't very tall, we're told, but he was, he was a lion. And, and, and these Judaizers could not take on Paul. Paul would, would just shoot him down at every turn that they made and every accusation that they would allege about Christ, he would shoot him down. So they got smart and they decided, hey, we can't confront him while he's here. Let's just wait till he leaves the church and then we'll come into the church. 
Paul had warned both, uh, that both would happen in Acts 20, uh, just prior to him being executed uh, for sharing the gospel at his second arrest. He said in verse 29, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And that word means watch, means to to keep an eye out, anticipate the enemy coming in and messing things up. These Judaizers argued that every new male believer required circumcision in order to complete their salvation, attempting to add works to the grace that Jesus provided. Not only that, but the, the idea of grace alone for salvation seemed impossible for them to grasp. And by practice, thereby making certain parts of the law a continued requirement, they said, in order to maintain one's salvation. Add to that, they blended in astrology, a Greek practice that asserted that angelic beings and stars were in control of things here on earth, and they demanded our worship as well. They said, don't, wor- don't worship Jesus. He, he's, a, he's a man. He's a good man. But don't worship him. Uh, we need to worship the stars. Of course, people are still doing that today. How quickly things can go south. And Nehemiah, if he were here, would shout amen right now. <laughs> I was just gone for a year. Israel turned upside down. I understand that. In effect, these Judaizers were inferring that Jesus' work on the cross and over death, however good, was not enough, and that more was required from everyone if they were to be fully saved. But any religion that attempts to add human works to the work of Christ, any religion that holds up another book written by man as God-inspired is a religion that leads to judgment and hell, and it ends up a failure. Listen, Jesus is enough, period. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.